everyone, we have an announcement. Radically Necessary has merch. We will be selling buttons and stickers exclusively on the Earth Tones Craft Shop Etsy page. They ship internationally too. So check out our merch on Etsy or follow us on Instagram at Radically Necessary Podcast for more information. And now let's jump into the episode. Welcome everyone to Radically Necessary. This is Brittany. And this is Ariana. And today we will be talking about Black trauma in many different forms. And the name of our episode today is Eat the Cake Anime. So maybe that'll help you figure out where we're going. But to start off, like most episodes, we're going to start off with UrbanDictionary.com and really define what Black trauma is. And I just want to lead off by saying that there are some heavy truths in this. I didn't write this again. This is straight from the internet. So Black trauma is defined as trauma caused by racial injustices, such as death, injury, being racially profiled, witnessing wrongful death via social media, two, being pulled over by white armed officers and being killed while being Black and unarmed, or three, when white officers of the law knowingly kill someone Black or of color, but are not indicted or required to serve prison time. Mm-hmm. Examples of this are the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Philando Castle, Sandra Bland, Tamar Rice, Trayvon Martin, the list goes on. Black protesters gather to protest racial inequalities as we have witnessed Black trauma once again in the U.S. and Black trauma caused by racial injustices in America. America is spelled with three Ks instead of a C. Mm-hmm. As it should be. Yeah, I think that um, definition is it's spot on. It's spot on, but I also, how do I put into words what I'm thinking? It's very, it's a very narrow definition, but it's also very spot on. Yeah. It's limited. It's limited because yeah. it talks about social media, but it doesn't talk about media completely. Yeah. It doesn't talk about just the different levels of Black trauma because I think that the way that it presents itself in the media is the one that we're most aware of, the one that we most recognize, but there's just so many different layers when it comes to Black trauma. And I'm sure we'll get into that today, all those different layers. I know as we were writing up, you know, the outline for this episode, there was a lot of things that came to mind and I was like, oh, this is the episode. And unfortunately, ironically, interestingly, whatever adjective enough, at the time of recording, a lot of things are going on in the world or our world, the U.S., and and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. I mean, what did yeah. we look at today, Brittany? Mass shootings as of June 4th when we're recording this, there is over 200 mass shootings in the U.S. In the year. In this year, in 2022. Yeah, over 200. And we're not even halfway through the year yet, which shouldn't be a marker for anything, but we haven't even made it to 200 days in the year, and there's over over that many which is unfortunate and disgusting. Yeah. And just considering how so many of them do have racial aspects with them. I know there have been several of them that were just, that were targeted towards Black people, but there were others that weren't targeted towards Black people. They were all targeted towards other minorities. But, you know, that's still a big thing that we are dealing with in this country. And it doesn't go away when we have all of our lovely movies that we're going to be discussing today that are trying to, in my opinion, the purpose is to appeal to white people and trying to find like the the grace and humanity in blackness. Yeah. 
And also, this is just a random tangent that I just have to go on. I am sick of these docu-movie things about these infamous killers that are white. Yeah. That get all this notoriety. And I think there was one on Hulu. I don't remember the name. I'm not going to look it up. But it was about the the teenage girl who, and there's a white teenage person, who really supported and kind of pushed her boyfriend to commit suicide in a truck. And they made a show about it or a short limited series about it on Hulu. And they were praising the actress for doing such a great job. I'm like, why is this on TV? Mm-hmm. I want that person to die unknown. I want them to have their punishment and I want them to not be moralized in history as infamous or whatever. I just, it makes me sick. Yeah. And just as a side note, because hello, therapist, but we're trying to get away from the phrasing of commit suicide and go to complete suicide or die by suicide. But yes, you're absolutely right. I do believe that we just put so much attention on people that do these atrocious things. And a lot of times that is what they want. They want that notoriety. They want that docuseries about their lives. And we're giving that to them. So I think there is a fine line, which we'll probably talk about as well today. There's a fine line between, you know, being informative and letting people know what's going on and then glamorizing things. Yeah. And I feel like that was super glam, like a glamorization of, of that experience. And it, and it shouldn't have that, in my opinion. Like I said, I have very hard lines about certain things, and I just, I don't, I don't drive with that. So, where should we start? I guess we should start about like what black trauma has looked like in the media when that comes to like movies that we watch, docu series. Um, when it comes to how these cases of police brutality are presented in movies, in the news cycles you know, and articles that we read online, like how all of that plays into this collective Black experience of trauma. So I know when we were, you know, putting this together, we did list off, I think, about six or seven movies. And let's kind of dig into them. The first one that came to mind when I thought about trauma in the media was Precious. Have you seen it? Yeah. So I actually have not watched some of these movies. Precious is one of the ones that I'm like, every now and again, I'm like, okay, maybe I do want to finally get on board with, you know, everybody else in the universe and watch it. But I just, (laughs) I deal with my own mental health issues and I just am not always ready to to watch this stuff and I have to protect myself. (laughs) I completely get this. And so instead of getting into the too much of it, let's just give the main things that I saw when I watched it some odd years ago, probably over five years at this point. But there was sexual abuse of a minor a mother protecting her boyfriend who was the abuser of the daughter, a teenage pregnancy as a result, and some domestic violence of the mother hitting and abusing the daughter. That is some of the big themes. There's obviously a little bit of uplifting, not really joy at the end. It doesn't have a happy ending from what I remember, but it just felt very real. Mm -hmm. Because at the time, I wasn't aware that I knew people that had gone through similar situations, but it was too real. And Monique still, the actor, you know, that played the mother, Monique, she did too good of a job. And I still will never forgive her for how she treated Precious. Yeah. That's the complexity of these movies is you have really stellar performances by people, but also this is some very traumatic shit. (laughs) It just, it is, it is. The next one is Fruitvale Station. I saw that one probably a couple of years after it came out. 
Do I have any recollection of it? No, except for like the scene where they shoot him. And that one was based off of a true story. I cannot remember. And uh, Michael B. Jordan, I think, was the actor in that. Yep. Yeah. Oscar Grant III. Yeah. Um, that happened in the Bay Area. So it was based off of that story of, you know, him being profiled, if I remember correctly. And they killed him. And it traumatized the entire, you know, community, as many of these situations do. And you said, Ariana, you hadn't seen that one? I think I started to watch it. And then when I realized it was one of those movies, like that someone got killed or I just turned it off. I was like, I love Michael B. Jordan. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, this isn't the one I'm going to watch. And I changed to something else. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think one of the more recent ones, you know, in the last five years, Queen and Slim. I love Mm -hmm. that album. I listened to the soundtrack. I have not seen the movie. I think one of our former uh, executive directors at the job where Brittany and I worked, she went to see it with one of her friends and she was traumatized. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I asked my partner, I heard it was like this. Do you want to see it? And even they were like, yeah, no, I'm I'm not ready. (laughs) So we did it. Yeah, I watched it one day. Because I have sister locks, and so it takes 50 bajillion hours to get them things done. And so I was like, oh, let's go see what movies are available. And it was on there. And I watched that one. And, oh, what's the other one with Amandala Stenberg? Um, Oh, The Hate You Give. It was The Hate You Give and Queen and Slim. I watched both of those movies on the same day, back to back. I was tore up from the flow up after that. I was a bunch of black law students that went to see it at one time and you know when black people at the movies is a whole different thing than when you at your house watching stuff. Mm-hmm. so i watched queen and slim and the hate you give in the same day and after i finished both like watched them back to back and i was messed up after that like because queen and slim i had heard some stuff about it but i didn't because i was watching it i knew that it, the ending was bad so basically what queen and slim is about since i'm having a hard time with my words right now is about these this black couple they're on their first date and they are insufferable their chemistry is so weird um but they essentially get pulled over by a white cop and they end up killing him and so then there's this huge like police chase across the country where these two are trying to you know lay low spend time with like their family members to kind of get out of the the public's eye so that they can evade this then they're about to get on a plane to escape the city and bad things happen i'm not going to 100 ruin it for those that do actually want to watch it but it was not the uplifting black power yeah we're getting one over on the cops movie it was just not that it was more again black trauma and then i watched that one i believe right before or right after watching the hate you give which was also um it's based off of a book but it was really, really sad, really depressing. And it's just like really heart shattering because it just feels like there isn't a whole lot of hope for us. And I feel like that's the feeling that a lot of these movies give, that there isn't real hope, that there isn't, you know, the change. There isn't that, you know. Shift. That Yeah, that shift that we're looking for. Yeah, and The Hate You Give is also a book. And the first letter of each of the words you is just the letter U, and it spells out thug. Yeah. And, um, and I remember watching that one. My experience of watching the Hey You Give was not while doing my hair at home privately. It was, 
I was a part of uh, the Black Law Students Association at the law school I went to, and that was a movie we watched. And if anybody has been to the movies with a bunch of Black people, it's it's different depending on the type of people you're with. But there was a lot of talking back to the screen. It was a lot. Everybody felt, you know, left feeling a little heavy. I mean, we're all law students, and this is, you know, quote unquote, police at work. Garbage. That was garbage. What I just said. I'm just gonna say that. Um, Thank you. <laughs> but it was, it was another situation of police brutality. Someone was killed for just existing. You know, it was a hairbrush. They were afraid that they were gonna get shot with a hairbrush. They thought it was something shiny, and someone's life was lost, and the whole community around them was, you know, never the same. And even when questioned black police officers versus white police officers about, you know, apprehending suspects that are black or people of color versus white suspects and why and how, you know, they're trained or what they believe when it comes to apprehending the suspects of different races is is completely jaded, you know, throughout. And even the black police officers said they would be more likely to not believe a white person was as threatening as a black person, as a black person. Exactly. That was wild. And and like I said, that's not policing. That's not justice. That's garbage. And and the fact that it continues. And after all of the, the deaths of all these people, just a few that I named, that's just, that's not even like, that's not even a percentage. It's just disgusting and it's terrible and it hurts. Yeah, it is. And I also think it's a very interesting juxtaposition between like some of the other movies that we, you know, commented on with like 12 Years a Slave and then When You See Us, because even though like with those endings, like with 12 Years a Slave, that was a that was a hard movie. And you watched it more than once. I did. But like I said, it wasn't like I was just like, oh, let me go watch 12 Years a Slave again. It was like, oh, there's nothing else on television. I'm familiar with this. I'm going to put it on. I just don't question what goes on in my house. I listen, I, you know, it just was, it was a hard movie for me to watch. Like, I think I had to watch it in parts. 12 Years of a Slave was hard, just like Roots. But I think Roots actually takes a couple days because it's just that long. Yeah. But there was just so much that goes on and so many underlying things. And the fact that I can still see what's supposed to be a biopic of something that happened hundreds of years ago, dozens of years ago, decades ago, and it still is relevant in some inkling today. It just hurts. And that's why I call it Black trauma for me, because it hurts and it hits way too close to where I currently stand in 2022. And I don't like that. Because like, even with like, when they see us where I haven't watched it because I, I tried, I can't do it. But even though with the end, we know that they end up receiving their freedom. And I know that's the part that they want us to notice. They want us to say, okay, we go through all this stuff and then things can rectify and things can change. But that's not the reality because we know that that even with DNA, you know, and evidence and all this stuff that comes out years later, those people's lives have passed. What was it? How long were they in jail? It depended. It it varied based off because there were five of them. It, It varied. A few of them got out when they were like, late teens, early 20s, and one guy was in, so I think he was like 27 or so. But I promise you, I was in law school when I watched this, when it came out on Netflix. And and I know, and you know, we all, or a lot of people, almost everybody, 
heard how it ended, like you said, but even still watching that first episode, like just thinking about it, I cried. I don't really cry at movies, but like I cried so hard and I can't even describe to you. Like I just turned it off because I couldn't watch another episode. I think there were five. And I just cried like I bawled like a child, like not even a child, a grown woman just tore up. Like I was so tired. I was just so tired. I just felt no justice was served. And exactly. And when you talk about the DNA evidence that came up later, they had it at the trial and they ignored it because there was sperm in a sock that they said was the the rapist of the woman that was assaulted in, in Central Park. And it matched none of these five children because they were all children. Everybody was under 17 Mm -hmm. and they didn't care. And it wasn't the last person that went to jail. The one that was, or the the person that served the longest sentence in prison was 17. And he underwent a lot of different traumas that comes with people believing that someone is a rapist, being black, having raped a white person, all those things I won't get into. You can insinuate or guess or look it up. And it wasn't even it wasn't even DNA that exonerated him. It was the person that did it that saw him saying, I didn't do this. I'm not going to say that I've done this that got him out of prison. It was the actual committer of the crime that was like, it was me. Let him out. Justice was not served for him. Someone else had to come in and exonerate him. Like my whole thing is what is the purpose of all of this with these movies? Because that does not make me feel hopeful for a better future. That just pisses me off. That makes me want to go in the corner and cry. Like <laughs> my mood just shifted just he- just like talking about this, just thinking yeah. about it. It's it's heartbreaking and sad and I know a lot of it, and this is what me and Ariana talked about even before we got on here, was that a lot of these movies aren't actually for Black people. A lot of these movies are not for us as the audience. They're to humanize us and our experience for white people. And who decided that that was appropriate? That we're still in, you know, in these years, in the 21st century, still begging to be seen as humans. Like, there is nothing feel good about that. There is nothing hopeful about that. There is nothing that is redeeming about that. So when people say that they haven't watched a lot of these movies, I'm like, oh, that's a that's a Black classic. And I'm like, no, it's not. That makes me depressed. Why would I want to subject myself to that consistently? Yeah. Like after that day where I was watching Queen and Slim and the hate you get, I was fucked up for like a week after that. Like, yeah. When I saw When They See Us, I was, I remember I was abroad and everything and I watched it and, and I just was like, I have to get through law school because this can't ever be someone else's story as long as I have some control over something. You know, I, and I hate that it has to be a trauma that pushes us to that place. I mean, when we think about what happened with George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, it's, it hurts. It hurts. It's disgusting. And it's like that moment where there's like, oh, this was the turn of the Black Lives Matter movement. Was it? It was not. <laughs> and I, and I hate that I have to be, you know, that wet sock, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't, it, wasn't. it didn't change anything. The day that the police officer that killed George Floyd was, you know, found guilty, someone else was killed in the same town by police. 
and me and Brittany, I think we went back and forth about whether we would do this episode at all, because why would we want to put ourselves through this again? And, and if it does anything, it's to tell our listeners who I hope aren't all black because you know, we're black. So it's, it's, it's the percentage is high that, but <laughs> it's to let people know, to tell your friends, you know, these stories aren't just for us, you know? And, and also that we don't have to feel the need to put ourselves through this. You know, that if you're like, cause I know that's a lot of conversations coming up online about like black trauma media and these movies that keep coming out. Um, like, oh my gosh, what was that? Um, of the black family that move into that white neighborhood and they deal with all of like, ah, uh, okay. I think it's called them or something. Them one, wh- whatever it was where it's like, we are stuck in this place of, oh, we need to support black movies because if we don't support black movies, then we're not going to get any black movies. But at the same time, there's a very limited presentation when it comes to black movies and so a lot of them end up being these trauma based ones that are retellings of you know trauma slavery police brutality abuse all of that stuff whereas with white people they get to be white savior they get to be a wizard they get to and not the kkk kind um they get to be i mean even the kkk kind like they're all yeah, of them. even that they, they get, get to, to be, be all of that. The action just, hero that saves the yes. world. They, they get, get to, to be, be all of that. The, what is it? Ocean's Eleven? Yeah. <laughs> they like, can go into yeah. a store and steal and nobody blinks an eye. Like, they get all of these different layers of humanity, of being robots, of being, you know, monsters and all of these things. And all we get is Black trauma and Medea. The versatility, there's the lack of versatility and diversification within the roles is is horrible. Exactly. And like, if you really think about it, even the Tyler Perry movies, there's a level of black trauma in literally all of them. Specifically. We already talked about that, though. <laughs> I know. I just I just want to believe because I know it. You know, everybody goes through a trauma, but I don't want my life to be centered around trauma. And a part of this, and try not to go on tangent, but a part of this is because in school, we're taught that our our ancestry and our culture started from slavery. Yeah, exactly. It didn't start there. It didn't. Because they had to get here and there were people that took them. And that also doesn't mean that everybody was kings and queens. Just want to throw that out there. But... We had culture, we had religion, we had dance, we had song, we we had history. We still do. But we had all of this stuff, which especially those of us that are from like the Charleston area with our Gullah Geechee heritage, like we have all of that. And we had all that before we got over here. We had an entire, you know, generations of life, decades, (laughs) you know, hundreds of years of existence before we were stolen from our homeland and brought over here. Have you seen the show High on the Hog? No, I have not. It's on Netflix. I was, it's about food and it's about That's what black I thought, culture yeah. and how it kind of connects us to our, our, you know, historical roots, ancestral roots and how soul food and the food that we eat or, you know, have been known to make connects us to, to our past. And I cried, like once again, I'm crying <laughs> because it was not because I was sad, but because I could feel the person's joy going, you know, back to Africa to one of the gates where 
a lot of the slave, transatlantic slave trade took place and him just feeling like this is home. Mm-hmm. Like if this hadn't happened, this could have been my home. Like no one knows for sure at this point because slavery, but that could have been their home. And I just, whew, the emotions just showed up. Cause it's emotional. I even had um, a client at one time and she is an older white woman and you know, how we end up on these conversations, I never understand. But, you know, we were talking a lot about how white people can legitimately trace their ancestry. They legitimately, even without doing an ancestry DNA test, they have a decent idea as to where they've come from. And we don't. There are very few Black people that can do it. I think there was... I think it was on like the Trevor Noah, the Daily Show with Trevor Noah. There was one, can't remember his name. I'm so sorry. But he had met one of the few African-American Black people in the U.S. that could trace their heritage because their family came in on one of the last ships of slaves into like, you know, the Gulf, the Gulf in, um, in Louisiana. And he's one of the few people that can say, yeah, my people were from this place. They can ride this ship and and all of that and i was just like it's, it feels so gross to say what a yeah. gift. <laughs> what a gift exactly but it is in a way it's a very like kind of soiled gift but i know because that's not something that we should have to work hard to try to ascertain or understand or right. receive just to know where we come from and what our family is like and not knowing you know that what exists currently is that our families, ancestors came in on a ship, overcrowded, all the things, and then they were torn apart. Yeah. Literally, physically, mentally, emotionally, all the things torn apart. Yeah. And if we have any listeners that are <laughs> not Black or, you know, not a person of color, just know that you are truly fortunate to know and be able to know where your family comes from, because there are so many people walking around that don't have that. And every time that anybody says, oh, where are you really from? Or go back to Africa, just how disgusting it truly is because mm-hmm. how we came to exist here was not our choice. And now you're telling us to choose to go back to someplace that we have no connection to. And we had no control over that if in fact our families are from Africa. So it's just, it's multi-layered. There's just so much to it that, people don't get the opportunity to sit down and think about and people avoid thinking about. Um, and that's why I feel like a lot of these, these portrayals of blackness in the media, they're not actually for us. You know, they're not genuinely for us. Even with like the um, Jordan Peele movies, even though there's a sense of trauma in all of them, I feel like it's more so movies that are for us. <laughs> Yeah. Like for us, bias, like those movies are actually for us. Whereas I think for a lot of the movies that we've talked about today weren't actually for us. And it's like, okay, so where's the black joy? Where do we get to experience that? <laughs> I do have one thing for you, Brittany, because I just remembered something. There's this show called Lovecraft Country that you raved yeah. about. And I didn't hate it, but I was mad at you the whole time I watched it. I was like, she was talking about how this was so cool and all this stuff. And I'm just I like, love, love I was just like ebbing and flowing between like triggered and like, this is yeah. cool, but this is also like, 
disgusting. And I was like, what is happening? And then I got to the end and I was like, that's why she likes this show. Yeah. I mean, I loved Lovecraft Country, but I also recognized a lot of the shit that happened on there was fucked up. Like, I don't think I'll ever forgive Misha Green for how she treated the um, the indigenous, I want to use their term, but I'm not 100% sure, um, two-spirit person. That episode had me all the way fucked up in the worst way. I will never forgive her for that. But I don't know. I think it's just like, we don't, I think it was more so the idea of Lovecraft Country because we don't get a whole lot of black magic stuff. Like that's, I'm all into it. Like Vampire Diaries, Charms, you know, Supernatural. Do not get me started on that stupid ass show. All these stuff. That's what I grew up on. That's what I love. And in all of those shows, you had little to no black characters. If you did have them, they were always the mules for the white characters. And when you say mule, what do you mean? I'm sorry. I mean that they were the ones that like whenever the white character was in trouble or caused some kind of issue or struggle or whatever, they were the ones that fixed it. They're the ones they would go to and whine to. Um, and I'm speaking, I'm going to think specifically about like um, Vampire Diaries because that's one of the ones that's like very, very, very popular. And everybody knows about Bonnie Bennett. She was a black, black witch. And she literally was the one that solved all of everybody else's problems. And she was the only black character on the show for I think all of the seven, eight seasons that they had. They might have had two black characters. They did have Jasmine Guy come in as her grandmother, which was really freaking cool. But then they killed her. And they had Persia White come in from Girlfriend. She came in as her mom. They killed her too. Bonnie died like three or four times came back to life, was then literally tethered to Elena, the white girl, and had to sleep in a um, coffin until Elena was ready to live her life. Like It was just, it was... There was layers. It was all the way fucked up. But that's what happens in all of these movies and all these TV shows. So we really, truly don't get to have... That's why people loved Prudence in um, Sabrina. The Netflix adaptation of um, Sabrina. We had Taddy Gabrielle play Prudence, and everybody loved Prudence because Prudence was just, I'm minding my business. I ain't getting mixed up with y'all shit. But even then, towards the end, she became in the middle. <laughs> you know? So it's just like, we don't get to have those movies where it's just, we're black, we're witches, we're cool, we're having fun <laughs> and fighting evil monsters. We don't get to have those movies. And I think the thing that the issue, that I had with Lovecraft Country was when it was set. And obviously the sundown town thing is a very real thing. And they really were trying to capitalize on showing people that this is real to this day. It still exists. But I also was just like, can there just be one show out there Mm -hmm. that doesn't do that? That just lets evil be evil and let us, but not connected to something historical. And it just, right. I just was. Yeah. It's disappointing. It's frustrating. It's, you know, all the things because that's not all of our history. That's not all of our future or our present. There's so much more to being a black person than racism. And I want us to be able to have media that encapsulates all of that. And, you know, I have to talk about this. I have to, I feel compelled because, and then (laughs) 
There are even those moments where I'm not saying people are pretending like things don't exist, but they're trying to move past them in a certain way for themselves and their sanity, I guess, and just be, quote unquote, a regular person, whatever that means, you know, not be tied down by their trauma or the trauma of the past. And then they get clowned or they get called out or Uh, they get spoken mm -hmm. about in a certain way. And I think a lot of that comes up when you see, you know, black people with white partners and you love that person. You're with that person. You care about that person. But then you still have to explain racism to that person. Yep. Or why you can't tell me that my hair is like an otter's fur versus kinky and curly. It was told to me before. I didn't love that person, though. I'll say that. Brittany's mouth is just open. Yeah. And I had to send them a video from YouTube about curl patterns for Black women's hair. And they're like, that's what I was trying to say. I'm like, you never compare a person, a human, Brittany's turned her back, to an animal, ever. That relationship didn't last long, if if anybody was questioning it. Thank goodness, because... And I I know they're not listening, but if for some reason they hear this episode, I'm talking about you. It's just gross. And I thought it was bad when I had someone come up to me and a a white person come to me and say, hey, can I touch your hair? Just reminds me so much of yarn. I've had that too. I've had that too. Particularly because my hair is locked and I have lots of fun colors in them. Not right now, but typically. But I'm just like, there's no worlds where that's okay. And like you said, Ariana, with having to be in a loving, partnered relationship with someone and have to explain why that's not okay or why you explain why you notice when you're the only Black person in a room or just having to explain what being Black is and what that means and you know what seeing color is supposed to be and all of this stuff. It's exhausting. <laughs> like I know you do it because you want the person to love you the way that you deserve to be loved and you know you hope that they care about it enough to say and do the right things and if they don't know if they don't know this the right things to say and do that they're gonna ask or they're gonna find out um and you want to have that good faith kind of belief with them but i think it just i mean honestly it's kind of a full circle where it's continued like where that's why we have these movies so the white people know what to say and what to do but that's not their takeaway from these movies. And it's always ends up being on our backs to put out this, you know, traumatizing labor essentially of let me explain all of my trauma to you to explain why you shouldn't do this. And when we're in loving relationships and that just doesn't seem right or fair. And to your point again, when it comes to these movies, you see so many, you know, white faces, white people, white identifying people in movies And at one point, I was that person that would not watch a movie or a show if I didn't see a Black person in the trailer. Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking, what if there's someone that's doing the exact opposite? They're not watching Mm -hmm. shows because they don't see white people in the trailers. Or, Uh, Or there are situations where they don't see themselves in the show, so they don't watch it. That's why Lovecraft, well, maybe I think Lovecraft Country should have only needed one season, but that's a big reason (laughs) why, you know, certain shows that really are deep, that really dig in, that really have that, yes, this is what I've experienced to a certain extent, and people should hear more about it, they get canceled because Mm -hmm. one, people aren't watching, two, people don't get it, or three, people don't like it, and they reject it. Yeah. 
I mean, look at what just happened. I am by no way, shape, or form a Star Wars nerd. Let me be clear. And I say that affectionately. But, like, that's just what happened with the Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think that's his name and the name of the show. They had Moses. I cannot remember her last name. um, But a Black woman, they had her be a big part of this new series. And Star Wars fans, white Star Wars fans, were just up in arms with it so much that Ian, was it? Ian McGregor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He had to like come on and make a post, which good for him. Thank you. That's what you're supposed to do as a white person and say, nah, we ain't doing this shit, (laughs) but it shouldn't ever be that bad to where people have to say, stop being racist. But that's why. And so people are like, we're not going to watch it because y'all are trying to um, black lives matter, everything and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, black people exist. They didn't just show up. We didn't just show up in the summer of 2020 or, you know, whenever the Black Lives Matter movement got real, got a lot of steam. We didn't just show up then. Like, we exist in this world as people and have a lot longer than y'all. And that's DNA proven. That's not just us talking shit. (laughs) Like, that's proven. So, like, what the fuck are y'all talking about? (laughs) I just, ah. It's it's infuriating and, and it's coming across in Britney sounds and, and in my voice and it's just frustrating. And I think I saw, uh, I, I was a witness to this and I still cannot get over it because I was living in South Carolina and I went to this presentation where this person was the first Black person in the field to hold the position that they currently held and they were you know, giving a presentation to a majority white group and about racism and about medical issues, maternal morbidity and black women, women of color versus white women based off level of education and the likelihood of death, you know, and really pointing out issues of racism in the medical field. But they felt the need, and I am crying, cringing, and screaming inside. They felt the need to tell the group, I'm not attacking you. My spouse is white. (gasps) And I was like, what? You are at the highest of notoriety in your career. You're the first Black person to hold this role. And you still, even when you hit that level of education, notoriety, and there's a word for it, that person still felt the need to tell this room full of Caucasian individuals they weren't attacking them by talking about a racist medical practices because someone they love dearly and they go home to every day is just like them or looks just like them. I cannot put to words how messed up that is. And I was angry. I'm still angry because I did not work women Black people, we do not work every day. And I'm not, I'm speaking for me and maybe Brittany too a little bit. I do not work every day to make other people feel comfortable. I do not work every day to make other Caucasian people, other women, other men, other non-binary people that don't look like me, that see me feel safe. Because nobody's doing it for us. Exactly. Nobody's doing it for us. Nobody, and and I'm getting heated about this and emotional about this because this is something that's come up a lot when it and I and I think we've talked about this before on the on the podcast. 
those same considerations that we as Black people feel like we have to make for white people, they're not doing that for us. I walk into a room full of only white people. There's nobody there in that space that is thinking to themselves, how do I make Brittany feel comfortable being the only Black person in this room? But if I bring up my Blackness or just my presence is a quote-unquote attack, which, let me be clear, that is exactly how y'all take that shit. I'm supposed to be focused on making you feel the least threatened. When statistically, emotionally, mentally, physically, I'm the most at risk in that moment. Man, fuck out of here. Brittany posted something that was so great on Instagram a few days ago. The other day, I have bad train of thought when it comes to dates. But I almost screamed when I watched it because the truth just penetrated my smartphone. It hit me in my brain. It went down my spine and entered my core. All the chakras, if you're into it, it was in there. It was about... We can post it on our Instagram. We should. But just a quick overview of what it was. It was a a Black woman, a woman of color, talking to two white presenting individuals. I'm not going to assume their pronouns or whatever. um, About how when there are Black people, not just Black women, but Black people in a space expressing how a white person has oppressed them or hurt them or held them down or held them back. And then white women specifically come in after being called out and begin to cry about how they're so sad that they made you feel this way as a Black person. And how they feel so bad about what happened to them. And this is fake tears. I'm not crying. It then turns, it then turns from me telling you, and this has happened to me, Brittany was in the room. Yeah. It turns from, oh my God, Ariana, I'm sorry I made you feel this way to, oh my God, I can't believe I made you feel this way. What about me? It's not about you. It's never been about you in those types of situations because someone is looking you in the face and they are telling you that you hurt them and you're making it about you because you know you can make it about you when you start to cry like that. Because then, and I didn't do it and Brittany saw me. I didn't say nothing. There was no consoling. It's not, oh, it's okay. It's not okay. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of telling someone they did me wrong and they're saying, I'm so sorry. And I say, it's okay because it's not okay. It's not okay. And I'm never going to say that. I'm so glad that person did get called out on that. And there was a conversation about that, but they didn't change. They did not change. And I don't think any of us were expecting them to change. I think we was all just really pissed off that day. And we just, okay, I need to stop saying we, I said some things. (laughs) Brittany said a lot of things after. (laughs) Brittany said a lot of things after, but I was sitting there and I'm like, yeah, I think someone actually handed them tissues and rubbed them on their back and stuff. And I was like, I am not going to give them that. We are not rescuing them from their guilt. That's that's it. That's over. That's done with. Cut the cameras. We're done. Like, that's not happening no more. And I looked at, I, I feel like I scanned the room and I like made eye contact with Brittany and another coworker. And I was like, I'm going to just sit here and let you cry and let you feel it because you deserve to feel it because yes. you hurt me. Yes. But then don't you dare come back and say, oh, because the person was saying my name wrong. And this is, you know, Ariana is not a hard name. It ain't. If you're listening. <laughs> I mean, maybe to read it, maybe, but still, like, I'm not going to say it is. It's spelled how it sounds. <laughs> I don't know. 
But the point is, is if you're telling me and I <laughs> and I was, you know, I became a different person a little bit, but not too much. <laughs> when I when they said, well, you told me your name was Ariana. I was like, no, I didn't. I told you my name was Ariana, like Ariana Grande, but spelled different. And they're like, well, I call her Ariana Grande. That's why I called you Ariana. And I was like, but I told you out of my mouth that I, my name is Ariana. And then they're like, oh, well, I was just so confused. But then they proceeded to tell and introduce me to other people using this name that they just decided to give me. And during this conversation, confrontation, whatever, they said, there are even days, Ariana, after I said my name was Ariana, they said Ariana again, I come in and I say hello to you and you don't say hello back. And my mom taught me that you're supposed to greet people. I'm like, well, if you're not saying my name right, you're not talking to me. And I was disrespectful for that because I'm not Southern enough. If I'm if I'm saying hello back to someone who's not even who hasn't even taken the time to know who I am. Mind you, you had been working there for several months at this point. <laughs> and the office had six people, like six, I think eight at the most. We saw each other every damn day, every day. And the people that worked with us at that time and know exactly who we're talking about, you know that person was wrong. And if you consoled them and you feel bad about it, good for you. I'm not going to tell you it's okay. <laughs> I don't know if they're listening or not, but I hope that it finds them just like that other person. <laughs> Whew. I'm heated. How yeah. you feeling, Ariana? <laughs> I, I'm heated too. I mean, like, your name is a very very small part of who you are that makes up so much of your identity. And if a person can't even take the time to understand, hell, listen, and repeat what you said, it just drives me insane. Yeah. You can say all these German last names without blinking an eye, choking on a vowel, choking on a consonant. But then I say my name's Ariana and I've been told in my life, in my youth, I'm never going to be able to say that. So you're just going to have to get over it. Moral of the story. That is very disgusting, and we are not going to sit here and try to convince everybody of our humanity anymore. You either get with the program or get the fuck out. Of the way, because I'm going to pass you. Yes, every single time. Let's be very clear about that shit. So Every single time. And I think that Brittany and I wanted to... <laughs> you know, it took a little turn. I'm, I don't apologize for it, because I think it was necessary. But we did want to ask the question, and I think Brittany asked the question, and I went a whole different way. Where are the Black Joy films? I am not a filmmaker. I like to write. If I can write a story and someone wants to pick it up, Issa Rae, I'm talking to you. I'm going to tag you in this when it comes out. I want to see more of the Black Girl Joy. The Black Joy. I want us to go through trials and tribulations that aren't based in racism. Exactly. I want people to see what Black people thriving looks like and not because they fell on hard times. We continue to fall on hard times. Hell, I am living in a hard time sometimes. I don't want to have to see that on TV anymore. I want to see us be kings and queens and witches and wizards, not the KKK. Yes. And (laughs) everything. I want to be everywhere. I want people to know that we can be anything. And I always go back to this story when I was in Chile and someone thought I was an angry Black woman, excuse me, because they only see angry Black women on TV. Absolutely not. I'm changing the narrative. It's not happening no more. If I'm pissed off at you, it's because you pissed me off. Yep. Period. Yep. 
I want more joy. I want more movies like Fast Color. I love that. Movie. Yes. And I want more shows like Motherland Fort Salem. If you haven't watched it, it's on Hulu. Watch that shit. I need to watch that shit. You need to watch that shit. (laughs) One of this whole thing of Black trauma is we're always going to experience trauma at some points in our lives. Our parents are going to fuck us up at some point in our lives. Some white person is going to fuck with us at some point in our lives. Stuff is going on too often and too consistently in this country for us to always have to live in that shit. And I'm tired of it. I am marking the calendar as today. Hell, I marked it like five years ago. I'm not dealing with that (laughs) shit no more. I'm not going to wait till I'm 55 to not give a fuck. I stopped giving a fuck about what you think. Because if you don't care about me, why am I caring about you? Brittany, take us out. Period. And on that note, thank y'all for listening to Radically Necessary. We catch y'all next time. This is Brittany. And Ariana. Deuces.